guys can have a seat. It is good to see everyone this morning. Um, if you are a guest with us and haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Bill. And it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. So if you are a guest with us today and you haven't done this yet, we'd love for you to text the word welcome uh, to 817-755-1668. It's the number on the screen there. If you don't get it down, it should be on a sticker somewhere on the seat back uh, near you. And so we'd love for you to um, just let us know who you are so that we can connect with you and find out how we could um, minister to you and your family. And so we're just really glad that you are here. If you are relatively new with us, um, I want to invite you to be a part of something that is going to start not this Wednesday, but a week from this Wednesday. It's what we call Formed. And so if you're interested in finding out more about uh, what drives us as a church, um, who we are a little bit, uh, Maybe you're interested in becoming a partner, and so if you have a church background, you think membership, um, we use the intentional language of partner, we'll talk about that informed. Um, so four meets on Wednesday nights here at the church um, for four weeks from seven to eight o'clock. It's just a great way to, to find out like everything about the church, get questions answered, all those kinds of things. And so you can register to be a part of Formed by going to our website and underneath the, the Grow tab, you can find it there. Or um, a great, really easy, simple thing to do is download the Church Center app. Um, and you, when you download it for the very first time, you'll have to find our church. It's a geolocated thing. So if you do it like in your seat this morning, it'll be really easy. And the, under the registrations, uh, formed is one of those options there. And so you can sign up that way. It's, it's far easier probably than any other way um, to, to, to get that app. Now, some of you recognize that I am not nearly as dressed up as I normally am on Sunday. And here's the deal. The last time the Bengals were good, I was 10 years old. And you guys wear your cowboy stuff every single week at the beginning of the season. It only happens at the beginning of the season. You talk about how great the Cowboys are. They're going to go to the Super Bowl and all that kind of stuff. So I felt like, I said that for Wayne, um, I felt like it would be completely appropriate for me as a long-suffering Bengals fan. I can now admit that freely, um, at least for a little while. So I'm just having my own little celebration today. I don't care whether you guys like it or not. So that's what we're doing. <laughs> I um, want to tell you stories and get started with the message. So I broke my arm just underneath the shoulder when I was seven years old after I fell off of a merry-go-round. And it's really kind of an interesting story because it happened during a revival service at our church. So I grew up in a Baptist church. We had to go to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, but doing that 52 weeks out of the year was not enough. So at least one week out of every year, we had what we referred to as revival services. That meant we had to go every night of the week that week. Now, if you know anything about sort of modern church history over the last 100, 150 years, there are just incredible stories of these revival services that have taken place um, and some of those happen in tent meetings, tent revivals, going all the way back into the early 1900s. Some really of the most famous preachers had these tent revival services, stories of thousands of people coming to faith in Christ, lives being changed, all that kind of stuff. And so it became clear that God does his best work outside under a tent rather than in an air-conditioned building. On this particular year, our church decided it would be a great idea for us to have an outdoor tent revival. 
So I was out. That really doesn't have anything to do with the story. It's just kind of funny that that's, I remember all these details. So I was out on the playground sitting on a merry-go-round, a bunch of other kids out there. It was probably like during choir practice before the service started or something. So I was sitting on the merry-go-round, not really holding on because I wasn't expecting it to move. We were just kind of hanging out. And so after a time, one of the older kids got off and started to push the merry-go-round. And it got going really fast. And at some point, I flew off, hit my arm, and it broke. Now, as a seven-year-old kid, I couldn't really describe all that was happening. I just knew that it hurt. And so I was crying like crazy with my left arm limp down at my side. I could not lift it at all. And so I got myself up, left arm limp down at the side, and because I literally couldn't do anything with it, I picked it up with my right arm like this to go find my parents. So eventually I found my parents, and because of the way that I was holding my arm, they checked out my wrist, and they thought, I think you're fine. You know, rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. We have to go on with the service. So it was a couple hours later, and as my dad, we, in fact, we talked about this uh, when I was home at Christmas a couple of weeks ago, my dad finally looked at me after the service was over, and he said I was turning green and realized, maybe we should go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital, x-rays, and in fact, my arm was broken. Now, that really doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about today, other than the fact that it included a merry-go-round. So for those of you that are old enough to remember when parks had merry-go-rounds, you realize they have been um, banned in all 50 states. They're outlawed in all 50 states now. Those death traps are because of things like happened to me. So we don't have those anymore. But for those of you that remember the merry-go-rounds, remember what it was like when that merry-go-round was full of kids and you were the one that was designated to be the one who would push the merry-go-round. I mean, it was so hard to get it started. You had to lean up against it and push with all of your might, and eventually it barely began to move. And you would make your way all the way around the circle, slowly but surely, and it would start to move a little bit faster. And eventually it would be moving so fast that it was moving faster than you could run around in the circle. And once it really got going, all you had to do was just kind of push it every once in a while, and it seemed like it would go on forever. And what that what was happening is referred to as the flywheel effect. That phenomenon is referred to as the flywheel effect. That it may be slow going in the beginning, but once it really starts moving, watch out. Some of you may not know this, but the church and Christianity spread to the entire known world in one generation. We stop and think about it, it's like, that seems like crazy. Like, how was it that it started in Israel with Jesus? Like, how was it able to spread to the entire world in one generation? It's the flywheel effect. Because it started really slow in the beginning, Jesus with his disciples. And while they were uh, 72 at one point that we could consider disciples, really Jesus primarily spent his time with 12 guys. And one of them didn't turn out so well. So it was really just 11. And he spent three years with them training and developing. And so it was a slow process. But eventually, Jesus turned them loose on their mission. And they were able to go out. And slowly but surely, they reached people who reached people who reached people. And eventually, the whole known world was reached with the message of Jesus. It is what we now refer to as multiplication. 
So today, we are finishing our series that we've called Fundamentals, where we have been walking through what we refer to as the table pathway. And so, we're going to get the graphic up on the screen. You can see this. The table pathway, it's just our way of describing the stages of growth as a follower of Jesus. And so, it starts with the reddish uh, diamond there at the top. It's Explore. So we started the first week of our series talking about Explore. This is the stage where maybe you're not exactly sure what you believe. You've got lots of questions. And so the Explore stage is all about moving from questions to belief. Second stage is what we refer to as growth. We recognize that God desires for us to grow in our faith. And so when we look at that growth stage, it's, it's growing in our understanding of God and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, growing in our understanding of Scripture. But the best way to do that is in community. It's not in isolation, just alone by ourselves, but to do it with other people. And so that growth stage is really all about moving from belief into community. Last week... We talked about the third stage, the stage at the bottom of our uh, diamond. It's the build stage where we are able to build the kingdom through service and generosity. And so we recognize that God has given each of us gifts and abilities, personalities, and all of those things we are to use to point others back to Jesus and build the kingdom or build the church. But I've got a challenge for some of you today. At some point... You have to make the turn into multiplication. And it's a lot like turning that marriage around a little bit as we think about multiplication. It's hard in the beginning, but if we're able to make that turn, eventually it's going to get moving really fast. And when that happens, watch out. But this is what God has called us to be a part of, this multiplication process. So if you've got a Bible with you this morning, I would invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. The book of 2 Timothy is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. So if you get past the book of Acts and Romans and flip over a little bit further, you'll find um, the book of 2 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, it will be on the screen as I read it here in just a second. Um, or if you are a YouVersion Bible app user, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. The scripture is there as well as a place to take notes, lots of other helpful things. Book of 2 Timothy, like I said before, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and it is by far his most personal letter. He was writing to Timothy, who was a young pastor that Paul had worked with and mentored, he had a close relationship with, and it's almost his last will and testament to Timothy. He recognized his life was coming to an end, and so it was like, hey, I've got to tell Timothy these things before I'm not here anymore, and so it's like, Timothy, be sure to watch out for this, make sure you do that, and then one of the things that Paul talked about was to make sure you don't neglect the ministry of multiplication. So that's where we're looking this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the sufferings as a good soldier of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. 
The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I think it's really interesting, verse 1, the way that Paul begins this section. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You can almost feel the emotion of what Paul is talking about. The reason that that emotion is so strong, even as we read it now, is because what Paul was getting ready to tell Timothy was that important. This wasn't optional. It wasn't a good idea as something to do, but like this was vital. It was vitally important for the future of Christianity. That's kind of really what Paul's getting at. And so what we understand is that because of the importance and significance of the mission, multiplication is vital. The importance and urgency of the mission demands multiplication. I want to break that down. The importance and urgency of the mission demands multiplication. So first, what is the mission? If the mission is that important, what is it? Well, ultimately, it's to make disciples. Because as Jesus gathered his disciples together, this was after the resurrection, just before the ascension, before he ascended back to heaven, he gathered the disciples together and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples. And so that mission given to the disciples has been passed down to all of us who would consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus. And in our church, if the mission is to make disciples, we have adopted a threefold understanding of what it means to be a disciple. First, a disciple is one who is a follower of Jesus. So they have placed their faith in Jesus, trusted him as their savior. Second part of our understanding of what it means to be a disciple is that a disciple is one whose life is being shaped by Jesus. So there's a recognition, yes, it's faith in Jesus, but that faith impacts how we live and and, and how we view the world. And so God should be doing something in our lives. Our lives should be shaped by Jesus so that we are becoming more like Jesus. But then the third part of that is really important too. This is one that often gets neglected, and that is that as followers of Jesus, we're to be pointing others back to Jesus or helping them to be followers of Jesus too. And so this, what we refer to as the disciple-making process or this process to make disciples is anything along the spectrum that helps somebody to come to faith in Jesus, helps somebody to understand what life in Jesus is all about, or could be training or equipping somebody to help them point, to get better at pointing other people back to Jesus. That's the mission. That's the disciple-making process process. Now, I want to go back to, to what Paul says, verse 1, you therefore be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, this is really important because at the end of chapter 1, Paul had talked to Timothy about um, staying close to sound teaching. The reason that he uh, said that is because Paul recognized that there was coming a time, and, and Timothy was going to be dealing with this, he was dealing with some of it already, where people wouldn't put up with sound teaching. And so if he's going to pass on this teaching, he needs to really stay close to sound teaching to be able to pass that sound teaching on to others who can pass it on to others. So the question is, well, what is that sound teaching? I think what Paul's getting at is teaching that's centered on the gospel, And if you've been around the table for a while, hopefully you've heard me say this, because we could understand the gospel to be, when I could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything. When I could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything. That's 
the core of the gospel message, that I could do nothing, but Jesus did everything. And so holding to sound teaching is teaching that centered on that message, that I could do nothing, but Jesus did everything, and then the implications of that truth for how we live our lives. And I don't know if you realize it or not. You may pick up on this at times. Maybe you don't, but there's a lot of what I would consider to be not sound teaching in the world today. You may not pick up on it because it sounds, oftentimes it sounds really good and it's kind of like really close, but I believe that the story of scripture helps us to understand life is not about us, but it's really about Jesus. But there's a lot of teaching today that makes it sound like it's really about us. And if you're really perceptive, you'll hear things like this, hey, you can do it because God wants to help, or you can make it Because God is with you. And all of a sudden the focus is on me. But the truth of the gospel is I can't do it. I couldn't do it. But Jesus accomplished everything for me that allows me to have a relationship with God. And certainly God wants me to do things as a result of the faith that I have. But even those things that I'm able to do, it's not really me that's able to do it. Because the only reason that I can do anything is through the spirit of God that's at work in my life. And that's the sound teaching that Paul is Kind of telling Timothy, hey, you've got to hold fast to that. It's the reality that when we could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything for us. And that's the message that we're to pass on to others. So it's the the importance and urgency of the mission that demands multiplication. Now, let me define multiplication for you. Multiplication is the direct, intentional investment in the life of someone who can then invest directly and intentionally in someone else who can do it with someone else who can do it with someone else. So it is the intentional direct investment in a person's life, helping them to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, teaching them, training them so that then they can take what you've taught them or done with them and then do it with someone else. Right? That's the, the flywheel effect. It starts slow But once it gets going, that's how the church was able to spread and reach the entire known world in one generation. The process of multiplication. Somebody reaching somebody or investing in someone's life in Jesus who can then do that same thing with someone else. Now when we talk about multiplication as a church, we look at it in a, a collective sort of way often. And so we think, as a church, well, what do we want to do in in terms of multiplication? We want to multiply leaders, and we want to multiply disciple makers. So it's people who can meet with people and develop people who can develop people. And it's uh, the development of leaders and multiplying leaders and small group leaders and those kinds of things. And then we feel like as a natural outflow of that, if we're developing, multiplying leaders the way that we need to, multiplying disciple makers the way that we've been called to, then the natural outflow of that, and we hope that God allows us to do this, is to be a part of a church multiplication effort um, as well. So as God is raising up leaders, then we send people out uh, to multiply churches. But the thing is, that process is not easy. Right? That's the in the beginning of the merry ground when you're trying to get that thing started at the very beginning. It wasn't going to be easy for Timothy to be a part of this multiplication process. It's not it's not easy for us to do either. And so that's why Paul gives three images to help us to understand three characteristics that need to be that need to happen in order for multiplication to take place. 
He uses the images of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And so it's through those images that we recognize that for multiplication to take place, it takes focus and intentionality, it takes character and hard work. The first image is that of a soldier. Verse 4, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please his commanding officer. So the image that Paul's getting at is a soldier who is disciplined because he understands the mission. He's not going to get involved in civilian life because he understands the mission that he's been called to. And so we recognize through that image that this multiplication process for multiplication to happen, it takes focus and intentionality. There's a, a word that's really popular today. It's popular in food. It's also popular in church. It's the word organic, right? You go to the grocery store, there's all kinds of organic products, and I think that that means that they uh, haven't had pesticides put on them or something. I'm not really sure. It's just marketing. But in the church world, there's, organic is a buzzword, too. So like organic church, organic small groups, all the, it's, this word organic shows up in all these different books. And really what it means is, well, it just happens. I wish that multiplication was organic, that it just happened. But I don't think it does. I think it rarely just happens. Like it takes a level of intentionality and focus for us to actually see multiplication take place. I mentioned before as a church, we want to multiply leaders and disciple makers, but something else that we'd love to see too is multiplication in families because we want to see parents to be disciple makers of their children. In fact, in the Old Testament, this was the way that the faith was passed on from generation to generation. In the Old Testament law, God instructed parents to be investing in their children, teaching them about God regularly. And I do think as parents, it's important for us to be examples for our children of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But yet at the same time, there needs to be a level of focus and intentionality for that disciple-making process to happen in our homes. And so one of the things that we want to do for our families is to, to equip them to be able to do that and give resources so that you can have those intentional times of investment. Something else that we'd love to see in our church is our, our small group leaders. We're starting to challenge our small group leaders to think about leader multiplication in their groups. We'd love to see our, our small group leaders identifying somebody in their group that they could raise up as a leader. For us to do that, it takes focus and intentionality. You're going to be looking for these people, and there's going to be a process in place. And so as a staff, these are things that we're working on. How do we make sure that this is happening in our group so that that multiplication can take place? Because rarely does multiplication just happen. It's a level of intentionality to it. The second image is that of an athlete. As Paul says here in verse 5, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And what Paul's getting at is the importance of character. It's really interesting. Uh, I, I think that what Paul's focus is in talking about athletes, he says nobody wins unless you compete according to the rules. Part of that is that sports, athletics in the Greco-Roman world of Paul's day of the first century is a little bit different than it is today in America. I mean, growing up playing sports, like I, was, I felt like this was a, a mantra that we live by. Like, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Right? Growing up playing baseball, 
Like you wanted to figure out what the other team was doing and steal their signs. Now you can't use a camera in center field or bang on a trash can or use a buzzer like the Astros did. Like that's obviously frowned on. But yet at the same time, it's like you're trying to figure these things out. And Paul says, hey, you've got to compete according to the rules. Character matters. I also played golf. Golf is an incredibly frustrating sport to me because you have to call penalties on yourself. It has been called the gentleman's game. I don't want to call a penalty on myself. I, when I hit a ball behind a tree, I want to look around and see if anybody's looking. And when they're not, I'm going to kick it out so that I have a clear shot to the green. Character matters. I think in our world today, a lot of times we get this idea that if, if the end is good, it doesn't matter how I get there. Paul says you got to compete according to the rules. Character matters. You'll never be a multiplier if you don't first stop and consider your own character and your own character growth. And you got to remember in this process, if you are a great multiplier, remember that we never point people to ourselves. It's not about creating followers for ourselves. It's pointing people back to Jesus. And the humility that it takes in the process is so, so important. Character matters. Last image is that of the hardworking farmer. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get his share of the crops. Multiplication takes hard work. You know the hard work that I think is often neglected is self-care. That may be the hardest work that we do because self-care sometimes feels selfish. You show up in church enough, you may get the idea that what God wants for us is to burn out for God. Part of the reason you get that impression is because it seems like, I don't, this is not what we really want to communicate, but it seems like with every stage of growth, you have to add something else to your life. I don't think we're supposed to burn out for God. We're supposed to do what we can according to our gifts and abilities and what God has called us to do for our entire lives. We don't want to burn out early and to, to make sure that that doesn't happen, we have to do the hard work of self-leadership. Making sure that we're always learning and growing so that it's out of the abundance of what God is doing in our lives, we can give that to somebody else. It's the hard work of staying disciplined, to spend time with God on a regular basis through Bible reading, Bible study, and prayer. Like That's the hard work that allows us to do multiplication over the course of of our entire lives. Well, this process, it's not easy. In fact, studies are showing now that we're not doing disciple-making the way that we ought to. Shows up over and over again. The church, and our, our church is not exempt from this. Like, we are not making disciples the way that God has called us to. And so we have to stop and think, well, why is this the case? Like, what's happening that's not allowing us to actually do what God has called us to do through this multiplication process? I'm going to give you three things that I think are hindrances. Number one is fear. We could give a a lot of different reasons uh, that would keep us from making the investment that's necessary to see multiplication happen. But I think in part, it just goes back to fear. Intentionally investing in someone's life and maybe in a sense feeling a responsibility for them and for their spiritual growth, it can be an intimidating process. It seems a little bit scary. Well, the truth is we've been called to be courageous. I think about what God said, what the Lord said to Joshua, who was taking over for the legendary leader 
of Israel, Moses. God said to him over and over again in Joshua chapter 1, be strong and courageous, I'm with you. In this disciple-making process, if you're ready to, to invest in someone's life in an intentional way, to raise them up as a follower of Jesus so that they can do it with somebody else, listen, God is with you, just be strong and courageous. Second reason that I think disciple-making and, and multiplication doesn't happen the way that we want it to is because of unrealistic internal expectations. And I say they're internal expectations because I don't, I really don't believe that these are always external ex- expectations. I think they're more internal than they are external. Things like, well, I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. The excuse of, well, when I get my stuff figured out, then maybe I can help somebody else. But you don't have to be perfect to be a disciple maker. You don't have to be perfect to be a part of the multiplication process. All you have to do is be in process. You don't have to be perfect. Just be in process. And if God is doing something in you, then he can take what he's doing in you, and you can use it to invest in somebody else's life. So there's an internal expectation that's unrealistic. And I think the last one, and this is probably the one that is the biggest, when it comes down to it, the reason that we aren't multipliers the way that we ought to be is because of selfishness. Like when it comes down to it, I think we would like church to be this way or our involvement in church to be this way. Like I am a part of the church so that you can teach me, encourage me, watch out for me, help me, whatever it is. And listen, I understand that. But yet at some point, we have to move beyond just what I get out of it and begin to think about what I can give to it. And we want to encourage, watch out, make sure that everyone in our church is cared for. But at some point, that cannot be the sole focus of our existence because it's not about us. Ultimately, it's about serving Jesus and serving people in the name of Jesus. But that's the, you know, if you think back to our diagram, like that's the turn that we have to make is to say, okay, like I'm really going to get into it now, and I'm going to be a multiplier. So here's the challenge for us this morning. Some of you are still in that explore stage, which is a great place to be. You're not exactly sure about what you believe. you got all kinds of questions. The challenge for you is to ask those questions so that we can give you honest answers. And hopefully through that, I believe that God wants to lead you to faith in Jesus and you surrendering your life to him. Some of you are, are relatively sure about what you believe and you need to take that next step into growth. Never been a part of a group before. It seems really intimidating and I understand all of that. But you need to jump in. And so you can go to our website, look at the, let us know um, what group you might be interested in. Maybe formed is the, the first place for you to begin to understand what group life is about and you begin learning from other people. So some of you need to take that step. Some of you have been around a while, maybe you've done a group, but I mean, the thing that you need to do is take that next step into build and begin serving and using your gifts here because we need you to use your gifts here so that we can do what God has called us to do. But then... Again, the challenge for some of you today, you've been involved, you've been doing things. Listen, here's the challenge is to now make that next step. Make the turn. Help us to start push, start to push the merit around a little bit. And it's going to be slow at first, 
But as more and more of us catch the vision for multiplication, where we're intentionally investing in the lives of people to raise them up as disciple makers and leaders in our church, as soon as that flywheel begins to turn, that merry-go-round begins to spin, listen, watch out, because you don't know what God's going to do. That's the way that the entire world was reached with the gospel in one generation. And so if we can begin to see that multiplication process happen, and it's going to be hard at first. It takes discipline, intentionality, focus, hard work, all of those things. But watch out and see what God's going to do. And so I'm excited as we really bring some focus to that for our church and on our staff. I'm excited to see what God's going to do. And I'd love for you to join us in that process. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thanks for the time that we've had this morning. I do pray, God, that you would raise up multipliers in our church God, people that you've called to intentionally invest in the lives of other people to raise them up as disciple makers and leaders. Father, I pray for our families, that you would give us wisdom to know how to be disciple makers at home in the lives of our children. God, just raise up more and more leaders so that we can reach these people who are moving into our community and all these new homes around us. God, you've given us such an incredible opportunity, and I pray that we would lean into that and trust in you, in spite of the fears that we might have, in spite of just all the the hindrances in the way. Help us to be selfless and begin to serve and raise up others to come after us. Because we feel like that's what you've called us to do. Because of the importance and the urgency of this mission, God, multiplication has to happen. And I pray that we would see that take place in our church. That we would do it for your glory, not for us not to make a name for ourselves, but to make your name great. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.